Well, let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we return here to the Word of God. It's been a, it's been a few weeks, but uh, we're moving on. God's given us uh, leadership here. We're moving to chapter number 8, uh, 1 Corinthians. And I trust that God has encouraged your heart in the Lord. I know that at times the book of 1 Corinthians is, is a tough book, isn't it? Uh, the Lord is very pointed in what He says. He gives us responsibilities uh, to live our lives for Him. But uh, we come here and Paul is writing, just to remind you, he's writing to a church that is carnal. Uh, the Bible says in chapter 3, in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as, as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And he says in verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for uh, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men. And we find here the danger of the Christian life, uh, of not growing in the Lord. Here we find these people just carnal. Carnality speaks to the flesh. And you and I are not called to live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. God wants us to be a spiritual people. Remember, spirituality... And carnality, they, they don't get along. It's like oil and water. They're the antithesis of one another. And if you and I live according to our flesh, we will never please the Lord. And so the Apostle Paul, he writes, and remember, not so much doctrinal issues, though he does cover uh, doctrine here within the book, but it's mostly practical things of what Christ does in our lives. In chapter 7, the Lord dealt with marriage. And, and as we come to chapter 8 this morning, God uh, shifts his attention uh, to another, perhaps polarizing issue of the Christian life. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to begin by reading in verse number 1 through, uh, through verse number 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Notice what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, and knoweth, uh, he knoweth nothing, yet uh, as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many. But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, uh, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God. Uh, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if uh, we eat not are we the worse. But take heed lest, any, uh, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak, be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And, though thy, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. 
But when ye sin so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And Lord, our prayer is that you would help us today as we come to the word of God, that we would see clearly what you're, what you're teaching us here this morning, that you'd give us insight, that you'd give us understanding and, and application of the truth in our lives. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning uh, who is lost, who doesn't know Christ. Lord, our prayer for them is that today would be the day of their salvation. But God, we pray for your leadership in these moments. And so use, us, use this message, we pray. And God, may you help each of us fall in line with Scripture today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 9. Verse number 9, there's four words here. This liberty of yours. Would you mark that statement in your Bible? This liberty of yours. Beginning in verse number 1 of chapter 8, we could go through chapter 8, chapter 9, and and chapter number 10. We come to chapter 11 and verse 1, and, and over these next few chapters, we see that God highlights what we refer to as Christian liberty. What in the world is Christian liberty? What is this liberty that the Lord tells us we possess? The word liberty is a very simple word. It means freedom. Aren't you thankful that you and I are free? Um, Jesus tells us, once you look with me back in John chapter number 8, and notice uh, what the Bible says in verse... Number 33 of John 8, the Bible says, Then answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So you and I, we are, before salvation, you and I, we are in bondage. We are in bondage to the flesh. Uh, we are bondage to the law that we cannot keep. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. How many of you, we're going to take a poll this morning, and I'm going to know whether or not you're being honest. How many of you have ever sinned? Right? If you don't raise your hand, you're a liar. Raise your hand, you're a sinner. Right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are, we are by nature servants of sin. We are in bondage to sin. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the circumstances of, of your life. Every one of us have sinned. You, we could have grown up in, even in the best of circumstances and still be sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. In verse 36, he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We're thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ. This freedom stems from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we must come to the place in life where, uh, where we understand the fact that we have sinned, and that our sin separates us from God, and that Jesus came to this earth, suffered and bled and died upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, and we must personally repent of our sin and by faith trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
For by grace are ye saved through faith. And so we come here, we see that God makes us free. But what, for what purpose does God give us this freedom? You ever wonder? In other words, you and I, you are free to do whatever you want. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. There are some preachers who abuse this truth. And they'll tell you that, that you can do whatever you want because you and I are under grace. Well, that's not what my Bible says. I want you to look at what the look in Romans chapter number 8, if you would, please. Holding your place here. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. Uh, but, uh, and hold your place right there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In Romans 6 verse 1, Paul asks a rhetorical question. Remember, we've all sinned, but at the moment of salvation, we've been made free from sin. The Lord has set us free. He's made us free. We are free indeed. Praise the Lord. So, what do we now do? He says here in verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Can I continue living my life however I please? Well, you can. That's the reality of it. I don't know why we would, but God gives us the ability to decide for ourselves. He gives us the freedom to make choices. We have what the Bible refers to or the doctrine of, of uh, personal accountability. You and I, we are able to make decisions for ourselves. We can decide what we are going to do, what we're not going to do. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And may I tell you, I'm thankful for God's grace. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But we're not to sin against the grace of God. In verse 2 he says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know, there's, there, in our lives, this, this Christian liberty is not for us to continue living in sin. We should not be living in immorality. We should not be living uh, in sin of addiction or any such thing. And may I tell you, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But for what purpose has God given us this liberty? Won't you look with me, if you would please, in, in Galatians chapter number 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we notice here this term liberty used. In Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse number 1, he tells us saying, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There is a danger. You know, it's, it's, it's ironic. It doesn't make sense, but so oftentimes... We, we call for liberty. We live in this liberty, but in this liberty we find ourselves in bondage again. Well, I can do whatever I want, but I've made myself, I've caused myself to fall back into the bondage of sin because I am appealing to what I perceive to be liberty, but it's not liberty, it's bondage. This, this, this liberty that God has given you and me is not for us to live in sin. It's not for us to continue living as we were, living as we had. There's been a change that has taken place in our lives. Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And now, this liberty that we have in Christ is to be used for the express purpose of God's glory. Won't you look at what the Bible says in verse... Let's just look down in verse number 13 of, of Galatians chapter 5. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty. This freedom that we have, don't use this freedom, this liberty... For an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You know what you and I are free to do? You are free to serve the Lord. What an astounding privilege. What an amazing reality. Think of this. Before salvation, the only thing you knew was to serve yourself. The only thing you knew was to satisfy the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and your pride of life. Remember, all of that is of the world. It's not of the Father. The Lord tells us in, in 1 John chapter 2 that the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. But we see all of this all of this, these works of our flesh, and, and we're not to continue using this grace, sinning against the grace of God to serve ourselves. Oh, no, no, no. You and I, we've been called for a better purpose. God has given us a privilege of serving Him. You and I have been redeemed. We've been bought out of that life of, life of sin made free, and now given the glorious opportunity to serve our Savior. How are you using your liberty? Are you using your liberty selfishly as the church in Corinth was? Or are you using your liberty in service for Christ? Why don't you look back in Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. May I tell you that the issue here is not so much about eating meat that it's offered to idols. Yes, it's highlighted. It was a, it was a cultural problem. And, and we look around our society today, we have many cultural problems. And that if we're not careful, we as Christians give place to. We make allowances for things that I don't believe that God gives us really the liberty to allow we do it anyway. And not only does it become a hindrance in our lives, it becomes a hindrance in the lives of the brethren. So the Bible is, is speaking of knowledge, and, and we all have knowledge. Our knowledge is incomplete. None of us will ever know as much as we think we do, and none of us will ever know as much as we should know. But the reality is, the church in Corinth, they were living in a very pagan town. The city of Corinth was, was full of of idolatry. And there, was, there were temples that, that they would offer flesh sacrifices to the, to the idols in these temples. And, and may I tell you, that was some good meat. They didn't have the modern convenience of a grocery store. You know, we could, they couldn't go down to the, to the butcher shop or, or, and, and buy a nice cut of prime, uh, prime steak. 
But you know where all the good meat was found? It was found at the markets connected to these pagan temples. And they would go there to buy their food. That's where the groceries were. That's where the restaurants were. He talks about sitting uh, in the temple eating meat offered to idols. And somebody from church would walk by. And they couldn't believe it. Did you see so-and-so in the temple? Sinners. Can you believe what they did? You know, we're over here eating our corn paste, and they're in there eating prime rib. I think it's a little bit of jealousy, personally. But, but the problem was that those who would go into the temple and, and buy the meat and bring it home and prepare that meat and eat that meat, it was no big deal to them because they knew, even as Paul says, that there was those, te- those idols, they're, they're not real. I remember years ago, my wife and I, we had just gotten married. We lived in Las Vegas. And we were out one day, uh, you know, going door to door, doing some evangelistic work in a neighborhood. And, and I grew up in small town America. This was a cultural shock for me. And we're walking up this driveway, and, and, I, and I've told the story before, but right off the, the sidewalk leading to the front door, there's a rock garden, and, and inside that, in that rock garden, there was a statue, or it, it was an idol, the idol of Buddha. You say, how do you know it was an idol? Sometimes people just have these, these figurines in their garden. It's just a cute decoration. Well, in front of this cute decoration, there was a sandwich and a bottle of juice that they had set in front of this cute little statue to offer as a sacrifice to the gods of Buddhism. I couldn't believe it. I told my wife, I said, you know what, it would be funny (laughs) if I drank that and ate that sandwich. What would they think? This was before ring doorbells, you know. Nobody, no, before security cameras were on every, at the front door of every, every house, right? It was like a funny joke to play. But it was true. It's what happened. It was there. Saw it with my own eyes. Fast forward about 10 years. We were in a neighborhood in, in, this, in this community. Doing the same thing, door-to-door evangelism in a neighborhood and and right by the front door, there was another Buddha statue. I don't know what Buddha... Buddha must be greedy. I don't know. But he's sitting there with his, with his hands out. And in his hands, there, were, there was money. All kinds of change just piled up in the hands of Buddha. Now, we think, how how can people do that? Well, there are some people that are saved out of that. Yeah, we thank God for that. I'm thankful that the the gospel is not bound. I'm thankful that it it reached even me. I may have never worshipped Buddha, but I tell you what I did do. I worshipped myself. 
serve myself. And there are some people who, who bowed and worshipped those idols and that had offered sacrifice and that had, had done all of these ritualistic pagan or, uh, things and they took offense to it. They took offense to it. And it brought about a great rift within that local church. Well, how do you know? Well, look back in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Remember, he says, ye are yet carnal. And he goes on and he describes what carnality produces. In verse 1 he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Uh, for hitherto we were, uh, ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you, notice, envying and strife, and divisions, are ye not yet carnal and walk as men? This carnality produced the wrong idea concerning Christian liberty. You know, sometimes we live our lives, well, if they get offended by it, man, it's their fault. Well, I don't want to offend anybody, personally. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to be an offense to the gospel. My, my heart's desire is to help you, not to be a hindrance. And what had happened is the Christian liberty that they had exercised had now become a hindrance within the church. And, and there was strife, and there was division, and there was confusion, and all of these, all this infighting within the body of Christ. Well, how can it be solved? Don't you want to know how we can use our Christian liberty to serve the Lord? There are three Simple lessons that we learned back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that will help us use our Christian liberty as God intended it. Notice the first lesson that we, that we notice is that Christianity is humble. Christian liberty is robed in humility. Look what the Bible says in verse 1. It says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge But what happens here? Notice it says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Notice that expression, puffed up. Do you know what that speaks of? It speaks of inflation. We see a lot of inflation today, don't we? Not that kind of inflation. Not a monetary or fiscal inflation. It's the inflation of one's personal opinion of themselves. Do you know what we call that? Pride. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We, Paul had already addressed this very subject of, of pride. Only by pride cometh contention. But he says here in verse, um, let's just look in verse 6. He says, And these things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that notice that no one of you be puffed up for one against the other. You're not better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody. You know what I'm thankful for? That in the eyes of God, there is equality. God is not a respecter of persons. He sees you and me the same. You might be, better, you might be taller than I am. I'm definitely better looking. Just teasing. But we don't want to have this 
this inflation of self, this, this being puffed up, this arrogance. And look what else he says. He, he again, again, back in, uh, in chapter 4, in verse number 18, he says, now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. You, say, you know, they're just proud. You know, they're, they're fighting, they're arguing against Paul. He says, oh, Paul's not going to come here. He's not going to settle all of these things. Who's Paul? Get rid- forget Paul. And they're, they're arrogant, they're puffed up with pride. And he goes on, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. You know, we can be very prideful in our speech, can't we? But have you ever confronted someone that was puffed up? I often find that their speech and their power are different. We can say what we will. We can talk big. But oftentimes we can't. We can't. We, we're not willing to exercise that same power in our personal being or character. But there's, it's arrogance. Even in verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that ye have done this deed. Do you realize that pride is, is unrepentant? Pride refuses to give an inch. Pride refuses. I'm going to make a very simple statement. Pride refuses to be humble. What is this pride? Pride is the desire to be something that God never intended for you to be. And the reality is, we all battle it. We all want to be special, don't we? That's why 90% of Americans are on social media. Because we want to have this perception of being someone we're not. I want people to think that I'm that I'm it, but I'm not. But we want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to have all of this. But may I tell you, it's not about me. Pride is all about me. But the Christian life, it's not about me. Remember, he's talking about this liberty of ours. This freedom that God has has given us in salvation And this freedom that's to be used for for His glory. Not our own. If we are going to exercise our Christian liberty biblically, we must be a humble people. What does it mean to be humble? To be humble means to prefer others before yourself. To be humble means that, you know, we're really not looking for the limelight here. I don't want the fame. I don't really want the notoriety. I don't really care about any of that. Because God resisteth the proud and gives grace, but giveth grace to the humble. I'm thankful that he giveth more grace, aren't you? But he giveth more grace. 
humility. One of the hardest life lessons anyone will learn. And it runs so counter to the culture in which we live. Is that life is not about me. It's not. Your life, it's not about you. Pride will say that it is. That's why we argue. That's why we fight. That's why we fuss. That's why we strive to get all we can while we think we have the time to enjoy it. Even though we may not have the money to pay for it. We live in a world that that tells us to keep up with the Joneses. We live in a world of, of status symbols. And the American dream has produced much of this, and, and I thank the Lord for Amer- the American dream. I'm thankful that we live in a uh, f- somewhat free society yeah, where we can pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it's not about a house. It's not about a car. It's not about going on these wild vacations. It's about the Lord. Humility. It's about Jesus Christ. And we learn from Christ this this great lesson of humility. Look with me if you would. The book of Philippians. Turn there quickly if you would. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Remember, do you, I, don't, I don't know if we can truly fathom how humiliating this was. For Jesus, who is God, to become man and live among men and then die for men. The Bible says, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you know what humiliation produced? Glorification. The Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We want the glory, don't we? There is no glory without humility. And if we will use our Christian liberty as God has designed, it must be used with humility. Notice the second lesson that we learn. Look back with me if you would please. In 1 Corinthians 8, We find the source of our liberty. We've already hit on this somewhat. But Christian liberty comes from Christ. Christian liberty comes from Christ. The only way you can truly have liberty 
is to know the Lord. Look what the Bible says in verse number 4. It says, As concerning therefore the, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know, notice, that an idol is nothing in the world. Why does Paul make the statement that an idol is nothing in the world? Because there's one God. And that's the God of this book. And he goes on to say in in verse 4, he says, uh, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be uh, that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, Right, I mean, you can, you can go around the world, and you can, I remember the first time I drove by, it was in the United States, you know, uh, it was a, a Hindu temple. I thought, wow. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of gods in the world, but there's only one God. Yeah, amen. People, they, we can worship what we will, but there's only one God. And those idols, they're... They didn't make themselves. God, uh, man made those idols according to their imagination in the likeness of things that God Himself created. But to us, there is but one God, the Father. Notice in verse 6, of whom are all things. And we in Him... And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Hold your place here and look with me, if you would, back in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 17, the Apostle Paul arrives in a place called Athens. Not Ohio. Greece. And as he goes and makes his way up the, the Oropagus, up to the top where, uh, what they call Mars Hill, he looks and he sees all of these different deities, lowercase, all of these gods that, that the Grecians had, had contrived with their own imagination. You know what these, these gods were? They were nothing more than the inflation of man. They would take a sinful attribute of man and amplify it. The God of war, the God of love, you know, all of these things. It's just the, the, emboldenment of, of the, the embodiment of sin is all it was. But Paul goes and he stands there on Mars Hill and he begins to argue or to present the case for Christ. And he says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. God created everything, is what Paul is saying. And cannot be contained in any building. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to, to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. 
and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. May I tell you that there is one human race. There's not multiple races. The Bible says we've all come from one blood. We may have a different skin tone, but we're all the same. There's no, there are not multiple races. There's one race, and that's the human race. And God and His sovereignty has placed us where He will. And, and we've seen now and even today uh, that He's working to make one people, which we're thankful for. But He goes on to say, He says, And that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far away. Uh, far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of of our own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Notice verse 29, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God is like unto gold or silver or stone, uh, graven by art in man's device. And at the times of his, uh, His ignorance God winked at, but knew... Uh, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, who is Jesus, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Church, understand this. That, that we, as, as Paul writes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and speaks of, of God being the creator, and, and uh, in verse 6 he says, uh, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we, by, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. There's one God, and there's one Savior. There's one Creator, and there's one Lord. There's not multiple, there's only one. And our liberty, our liberty is given to us from Christ. It comes from Christ alone. And if you do not know Christ, you do not have liberty. But notice the final lesson that we learn here this morning. We find... The pendulum upon which our liberty swings. And if you don't get anything from the message this morning, please take this away. Please catch this. That our Christian liberty is driven by love. Our Christian liberty is driven by love. Look what the Bible says back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. He says, And if, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth, he, knoweth, uh, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. And he says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. What does this mean? If you love God, your life will exemplify love. That's what it means. Do you love God? Well, then your life is going to be filled with love. Love for whom? Love for God, love for Christ, love for one another. Love. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it is the love of Christ that constrained him. 
It was the determining factor of everything that he did. And if we, if we do not love like we should love, we will not use our liberty as God designed. And in turn, even as Paul says, we, we will sin against Christ. But not only are we to love the Lord, we're to love each other. You know, we look around this room this morning, it's filled with people. Do you want to help these people? Or do you want to hinder these people? That's the question. If I don't love you, I will inevitably hinder you. If I don't love you, I will hurt you. If I don't love you like I should love you, I will not help you become the Christian that God wants you to become. And the same is true for all of us. Look what he says here as we close. He says in verse number 7, he says, How be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. You know what? Some, I know that these idols are nothing. People struggle with that. They don't know. There are people who, who God says have a, a, that are weaker. They're not lesser. They just don't have the knowledge that you have. Don't, don't be critical of them. Don't try to hurt them or manipulate them or be a hindrance to them, but love them. He goes on to say, For some with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing of, uh, offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, if, if I don't care about you, I will do things that will hurt you. That's what these Corinthian Christians were doing. That idol is nothing. I, they, they're, they're crazy. I'm going to eat this steak anyway. I'm going to like it. And I don't care how they feel. I don't care what it does to their Christian life. I can't say that. Because I do care what happens in your Christian life. The Bible tells us that we are to provoke one another unto love and good works. I don't want to provoke you to sin. I, might, I mean, I might provoke some people, but I hope in a good way. Look what he says in verse number 8. He says, but, but meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat are we the worse. He says in verse 9, but take heed lest, any, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see, uh, see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him, which is weak, be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall, we, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when he sins so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. There are things that I do not do because 
I'm afraid that it might in some cases cause someone in our church to stumble. Years ago, I got a phone call from a young man. He, he believed that God had called him to ministry and, and he asked me, he said, do you believe that it's a sin for people to go to the movie theater? The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not go to the movie theater. The Bible does say I will set no uh, evil thing before my eyes. But years ago, years ago, there, uh, you know, the movie theater was known. I mean, you if you wanted to see something bad, you'd, you'd go to the movie theater to see it. But I told him this. I said, you know, there are things in my life that I do not do because I know if someone saw me do it, they would it would weaken their faith. They would see me as a hypocrite. They would tell me that, you know, you're just not a spiritual man. We don't go to the movies. You might. It's up to you. But I won't. There are other things that my wife and I that we do not do because we don't want to offend someone else. You think, well, pastor, that's awful. It's awful extreme. Well, Paul said that he wouldn't eat anything. Look in verse 13. It says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. If there's an action in my life that could hurt you, I will not do it so long as I live. What fuels a decision like that? It's love. Because I love you. And I don't want to hurt you. May I tell you that Christian liberty is important. We are free to serve the Lord, but may we serve Him humbly, knowing that Christ is the source of our liberty. And may our love for Christ and our love for each other drive us along the way. This liberty of yours. Will you love each other? Will you treat one another as the Lord directs us in His Word? Will you recognize that your life, it's not about you. It's about Christ. And may we work to strengthen the brethren and not hinder the brethren. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in just a moment the piano will play.